Welcome to the Cybersecurity and Cloud Podcast, the podcast where we learn from cybersecurity experts how to stay safe, private, and secure on the cloud and in code. CSCP is hosted by Francesco Cipollone, your cybersecurity friend with a passion for all things cyber and sharing stories of other professionals with you. Let's dive in. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Cybersecurity and Cloud Podcast. This is your host, Francesco, and today we're going to discuss about something that I never, never mentioned about, that is application security and methodology on how we can scale application security and cloud security and operational security. And this is a fantastic conversation that I had offline with Amanda through a group that uh, we share. Uh, let's talk software security. And I said, that conversation was so good that we need to bring it on a podcast and hence why we are here today. So Amanda is joining me today and uh, she is the Senior DevSecOps Engineers and a good friend that we discussed together a lot of this upside conversation. But Amanda, without further ado, tell us a little bit more about you and welcome to the show. Hey, Francesco. Thank you for inviting me to today's podcast. I have been in the field for several years now, first starting off as a, uh, you know, IT operations, getting my foot into the doors on industry experiences as my first time working. And that was a really interesting role that evolved into security later on, where I got to, you know, from an IT perspective, get my footing in the door with security. And I really fell in love with security because there are so many aspects to securing a business from people, processes, and technologies that it kind of just touched every little aspect of, of, of a business. From there, I uh, entered into a DevOps role to get some hands-on engineering experiences, really understand how applications are being built so that I could better understand how to secure them and kind of like work with the engineering teams on how to speak the security lingo. After I had a DevOps role, I uh, moved into a DevSecOps role, my last job, where I got to kind of help build out the program from a vulnerability management perspective because we uh, didn't have one. So we had to put one in place. And uh, the first thing we very quickly realized is the scale of a program requires more than just, you know, two or three people. So we had to uh, leverage a ton of DevSecOps methodologies to automate anything and everything that we could possibly uh, get our hands on to scale all of that out. That's sort of my, my background in, in a nutshell. You know, I've worked in IT, I've worked in development, I've worked in security, really great uh, opportunities to understand the three different typically siloed domains that we are all very familiar with today. Brilliant. And I really like your background for the conversation of today because you touched all three aspects and you felt the pain in all three aspects probably, and especially in the vulnerability management space. But if you if you were to look back and look at it today, what do you think the state of the industry in terms of vulnerability alerting, where do you think we are? We are in a good space, we are in a bad space, we have a very different scenario than what we had uh, I don't know, five years ago. What do you think? Where, where's the interest here? Oh my goodness, yes. So I do think that with the introduction of the cloud, right, whatever migration journey every organization is at has certainly introduced 
large complexities of security challenges that haven't been quite thought through as people have started to adopt the cloud. And what I mean by this is that you have your traditional application security teams that are typically network perimeter based. So they'll they'll scan your firewalls, they'll scan your networks, they'll scan your, you know, your hosts. But there's more to applications these days. We have more APIs, we have more microservices, we have way more endpoints than we ever thought possible. So I think we're trending towards more assets that need to be secured and monitored and you know very closely paid attention to. But I think we're in a really good spot right now to start uh, upscaling our application security practitioners to become aware of the evolution that application security is going through to start putting these proactive controls in place to find and fix issues before they become a problem later. So it could go either way, but I'm I'm optimistic that you know we'll we'll get our brains together and <laughs> and uh, put better tooling in place to catch all of these. No, that's that's brilliant, and I think you touched the point. Uh, I touched a very important point that was the move to the cloud. The fact that we are used to operationally wise to scan and do vulnerability triaging and assessment of specific endpoint, but with the move of the cloud, I guess. The paradigm has shifted a little bit in terms of ownership of those assets and who is really responsible of a piece of kit in the cloud? Is the team that has deployed it? Is the ops team? Is the people that scan it? What do you think? That is a great question. <laughs> so again, kind of back to what I mentioned earlier about the uh, the scaling problem, right? So there's not enough security personnel on this entire planet to help you know, always triage, always help fix, always provide the right level of guidance and level of like just-in-time information that development teams or operations teams needs to have in order to remediate any of these vulnerabilities. So who owns it? Great question. I think it's it's a blend between the teams responsible for writing the code. So everything that is written in code, whoever wrote the code should be responsible for remediating it. Uh, so, for example, with container security, you have teams that will build your, you know, your golden image or, or your standard base layer. The team that built that should be responsible for fixing issues there. For any application-specific dependencies, that should probably be the application team that introduced those dependencies. And lastly, the team that uh, deploys the code or owns the infrastructure that is being deployed to should probably remediate that as well. So in your vulnerability management system, you probably want to have you know really concise metadata tags to be able to attribute the different ownership models that we're going to start moving towards as more and more uh, cloud technologies are being adopted. And I think you touch a very critical point, vulnerability management tool or program that 90% of the time is not there. <laughs> you should have something in place to trace things. But as, as you well aware, me and you, when we started this journey, there was none <laughs> of this. There really wasn't any. And this is an interesting space to be in because you either have to write custom code to you know, create a reporting dashboard, you have to aggregate everything, you have to normalize the data because not every scan result is going to uh, you know correlate to a different scan result if they have different uh, reporting methodologies, right? So if you're using a tool that uses CVSS 2.0 versus 3.0, well now you have different ratings right there, and you have to figure out which one to normalize against. So there are lots of nuances with vulnerability management. No, I agree. I, I totally agree. And then you have also the complication that some tool use 
a different version of CVSS, but also a different type of setting of CVSS. So it's, it's often complicated and sometimes the tool don't use any concept of business impact or for example, contextual elements to prioritize or, or you know, if there is an exploit available out there. So we tend to get inundated by CVSS 10 and how many of the 10 are actually real 10 versus 10 that could be five or four. And you know, this is a little bit my pet peeve. And, and Oh, you mean I shouldn't tell all development teams to fix every single vulnerability <laughs> that comes their way <laughs> based off of the criticality of the issue? Well, it is, I think there are two school of thoughts and it depends if you come from, uh, it depends by the size of the organization. And, and I think we, we're never going to get through a single specific answer because honestly, there isn't. Is whatever gets you through fixing as many vulnerabilities that are important to fix. I think that should be the ultimate goal. And right now, the industry, including the government, is getting wrapped up in this discussion, how many days are good days? And there isn't a true answer because it could be 30 seconds if you are a critical national infrastructure and getting targeted by an ATP group or a threat actor group, or it could be days, weeks, months before somebody targets you. So there isn't a real answer. The sooner, the better, but we don't have infinite resource and infinite times. But also on the other aspect that I think we're getting right now be confused on is vulnerability management as a traditional approach on patching an infrastructure and operating system. I think it's been around for quite a while in terms of assessment and in terms of methodology and in terms of maturity. So we have kind of way to measure it. AppSec on the other side and CloudSec, even worse, hasn't been around the block for that much time. I mean, we've been focusing on it for the last maybe five years, 10 years tops. And we still need to learn. So what do you think? Are the methodology completely different or can we learn from one aspect or the other? I think there is always opportunities to learn from existing systems that work, like you mentioned. So patch management is a pretty effective one as it is today. Um, it's been around for you know several decades at this point. And I think the reason why application security is kind of lagging behind that is because at the rate of which security scans are being happening, it's not quite the same as the issues that are detected for operation security. So for example, most organizations will run a pen test after the code has been built, sent to production, and the feedback loop of getting those vulnerabilities back into the development backlog hasn't really been a thing until the last couple of years, right? There are security teams out there that are manually triaging, manually assigning, and manually like coordinating with these development teams to remediate these issues. So the methodologies to kind of create this into a, a, a scalable program hasn't really been thought through because of all of the different tools that need to be introduced, all of the different scan results that need to be processed and assessed and analyzed. There's just too much data to work with. So if we kind of work with uh, operation security and how they, they start with asset management, they know who owns what, because if they don't, then they can't really charge back the, the, cost alloc- the, the, the cost that it takes to keep those up and running, right? So when you kind of associate that same thought process of there's a cost to application security, just as there's the cost to patch management, then you can kind of start um, aligning the processes. A vulnerability is a vulnerability. The hardest part is figuring out who needs to own them and what amount of time you need to take to fix them. But once you standardize those processes, 
uh, it's easier to scale out because everyone is following the same process, but the input may be different. I like where you're going because you, you highlight asset management that we are learning in application security just now with the, the, the hated software bill of material. Uh, and I think it should be more the cloud security bill of material, the container security bill of material. There should be more of it. Asset management has been always a, a, a challenge. So, and, and from asset management comes also ownership. Uh, principle and process. So what do you think we can learn from operational security and apply to AppSec or the other way around, the speed of which AppSec mm -hmm. sometimes can uh, go and digest and fix all the critical in the ideal scenario as soon as the code comes out? Yeah, so I think stronger governance processes need to be incorporated because when we have it for um, operation security, like we talked about, there there is a direct financial implications if you know their systems aren't patched in a timely manner. And that same thought process could also be applied to your applications, right? So from operations, we're typically thinking about the infrastructure, the hosts, the, the network connectivity, the firewalls, all of the uh, external perimeters that uh, house the application. Now we have more entry points into the application, more connections may, being made through API calls. Uh, you're, so you're connecting to more resources, you're connecting to more clients, you're connecting to more data points. So there's a lot of holes that we're, we're poking into this structure that we thought was sound and safe. So, you know, elements of like zero trust, we need to kind of like really think about every step of the way from the application, from the time we're introducing a new feature to the time it needs to be made to production. And you need to have a clear understanding of what you're building, document that, and keep building on that registry so that when it's time to govern and say, hey, application team, uh, did you do all the things that you needed to do? Just like we asked those questions in security operations, because both sides need to keep the lights green, whether it's from inside the application, from an application security perspective, or outside the application, from a security operations lens. So you raise an interesting point uh, that is fundamentally how to structure an application security program by learning fundamentally the good things that operation security has done. And we seem to reinvent the wheel, but I think there are two schools of thought. And let me know which one do you subscribe to. That AppSec is special and it's different because the time for fixing, as you rightfully say, is more complicated post-factum rather than pre-factum and the famous shift left and doing things in IDE. And as soon as you see a problem, it's much cheaper than fixing it later. Well, operational security, they don't have that leisure because they tend to maintain software and operating system and other things that are produced from somebody else. Now, that line gets blurred though with container security and cloud security that <laughs> shift even more the paradigm shift. So to get back to the first question, which which school of thought do you subscribe? Fixing everything as soon as it appears and as soon as you can detect it or, you know, vulnerability management and triaging it and um, fixing it as it comes? Ah, what a great question. <laughs> um, <laughs> again, it, it always depends on the, the context and the situation that, that you're evaluating that type of question. So for new applications, I would probably go with the try to f find and fix everything as reasonably you can. 
so that you reduce any amount of tech debt, your tax surface is always minimized, and everyone's happy, right? <laughs> it's easier to fix things because you have a smaller backlog of issues to fix. Now, I'm sure you're going to ask me, what about applications that have existed for, you know, decades and they, <laughs> they have, you know, thousands and thousands of vulnerabilities? Well, this is where having a contextual risk-based vulnerability management program would be effective because you can take that accountability of, let's say, 2,000 vulnerabilities. Of those 2,000, only a handful are probably exploitable. And those are the ones that you really want to focus on first. So generate your plan of action, a remediation plan to, to fix those really important ones. And then slowly over time, reduce the tech debt of the other ones, because that's, that's what it really is, right? Vulnerabilities are flaws in code, which is just technical debt. So, and technical debt should be considered a qualitative trait to the application. So just like you have QA or quality assurance defects, you have accessibility defects, you have security vulnerabilities, which are also known as defects. And so you just have to make that part of the, the backlog over a long-term strategy. I really like that. I really like that tools that you have. You answer as a politician, <laughs> it depends, or as any security person that have been in this industry for a little while, it depends. But it actually, it really depends on, as you said, if you have a team behind it that owns a specific application, if you can act on code, or if you need to reverse engineer a piece of code that maybe was written in COBOL and is running on a mainframe and nobody want to touch it because they are afraid that the whole banking system is going to collapse. And I'm not going to mention names and... <laughs> And action oh, around yeah, that. Exactly. We, we got to make sure we think about all scenarios here because as security practitioners, we can't just say there is one size fits all or that this is the only way to do it. My mindset is that there may not be a right or wrong answer. There's probably a better way of doing things. And, and when you find that better system of, of managing your vulnerabilities, run with it, iterate on it, and always collect feedback because a happy development team is a happy security team, something I always say, <laughs> where if you kind of work with the teams that you're asking to fix these things, there is going to be a little bit of give and take. There's going to be compromises to remediating a giant backlog of vulnerabilities. So if rather than fight with teams to find the time to fix them, ask them when works best for them and find that middle ground because you'll have an easier time collaborating versus mandating what needs to get done. This episode is brought to you by the generosity of AppSec Phoenix Limited. AppSec helps startups and enterprises solve complex software security problems by using smart data aggregation and complex machine learning software. Discover how AppSec Phoenix helps CISO and developers remove friction and maximize the use of DevSecOps professionals at www.appsecphoenix.com. AppSec Phoenix is the new and smart dev-first way to manage your software vulnerability. Follow the tag, hashtag AppSecSmart. I like the collaboration because we're always going to get tech debt. We're always going to get a tech debt to fight with other, other tech debt. And sometimes fixing vulnerability might not be the thing you want to do. And i give you a good example. I, I was discussing with a friend some time ago about the fact that there was a hard limit of how much they could reboot systems and fundamentally roll out patch, new patches. And they ended up saying, you know, the metrics that we want to hit, we're going to use it as a driver for re-architecting the system so that we can meet that metrics and ex expectation and actually not fixing patches, but actually fixing things and rebuilding things faster. 
to actually meet goals. And I want to reconnect to one of the elements that you mentioned that is feedback loop and measurement that is, for me, absolutely the holy grail of vulnerability management because you you know where you are, you know where you want to go, and you know how long is it going to take and if you can actually do it or not. What do you think about you know the measurement and, and driving innovation through something that traditionally is a very painful and annoying process that is vulnerability management. <laughs> oh my goodness, you're, you're sticking needles in, in my back here. <laughs> it's a hard question because you have to be okay with knowing that you're never going to get it 100% right. Um, and I think that's the hardest part. Figuring out how to get started, I think, is the hardest step in developing metrics and defining a strategy to measure the effect the efficacy of your vulnerability management program. For for example, are you scanning everything that you're supposed to be scanning? That should probably be the first metric. Do you have 100% visibility into your application lifecycle, right? Do you know all of the components that are being developed? Do you know all the APIs in your organization, for example? You can't answer those questions. And maybe those could be your initial baseline to building out a, a program, right? Figure out your metrics for visibility. Then figure, figure out your metrics for improvements once you understand what visibility you have. And then that way you can kind of drive new goals across the organization. For example, if you were to set a goal that all applications need to remediate the top, you know, exploitable critical vulnerabilities, then you have an easier backlog to work with. Everyone in the organization shares the same goals, regardless of the source of the vulnerability, including application security and operation security. Right. So regardless of the source, everyone has the same goal. That's kind of like the the overall outcome of the organization to kind of like drive the the application health to a safer state. So starting with reasonable objectives that everyone could get on board with is great. However, if you do generate a goal that a, a team may not be able to adhere to, that's when you kind of open up the channels of communications and allow people to make the business justification for why they need need extra time or additional support or whatever the reasoning may be, because you give them that flexibility of, hey, we acknowledge this business goal. We can't meet it for X, Y, Z, but here's our plans to meet it at a later point in time. And having those conversations usually results in your issues being remediated in a timely manner. Right. I think that's the second most important things of a program of work, regardless if it's vulnerability, cloud security, DevSecOps, that is communication and agreement. And I think we've been discussing this in the uh, channel and in the meetup that we're all a little bit of salesmen when we are in security and especially in application security because we need to convince people of the need to do certain things. And it's better if it comes from them rather than, as you rightfully say, it is imposed. So tell me maybe one or two stories that did work for you on maybe convincing people of, of doing what they supposed to do without, you know, the carrot and the stick. Right. So I, I do like to start with, with company policies first. They may not be written in a language that is conducive to the development workflows that we have to, because remember, we have different, we have security teams that are so disconnected from development teams that maybe the language has not been aligned. And so uh, in my previous role, I really had an amazing opportunity to not be the security team, I wasn't on the engineering team. I wasn't on operations either. So I was just like fourth wheel in (laughs) against the other three, right? So against development, against security, against operations. 
And I was this like fourth cog in this, in this uh, ecosystem in trying to figure out how to uh, communicate between the three different siloed groups. And so uh, one example I had was starting off with, this is with container security, by the way. So we all know how difficult it is to get vulnerabilities remediated in that category, but it was for container security. And I was explaining, you know, here's, here's the tool, here's the process, here's the company policy you need to follow. Someone said, but Amanda, why should I care? And, and the first <laughs> thing I said, <laughs> why should I care? That's the answer that kills. <laughs> right, why should I care? I jokingly said, you know, I don't want to be on TV, right? I don't want to be the next example company or organization that, you know, did something so careless and forgot to, you know, secure containers, for example. So that, that was like joke one, but but really, you know, company brands, protecting customer data, protecting our our uh, applications is really something not to be joked with, right? So, so I don't want to put anyone at risk there. And that was a very genuine response. The second response to that was what I mentioned earlier with re-communicating you know, instead of calling it a security vulnerability, call it a security defect and outlines uh, the, the potential risks that you could have had with the application. So it wasn't quite like a threat model where we do the exercise of, of figuring out, you know, what are all of the different ways a bad actor could exploit the application. But very high level, kind of talked through some of the risks with that and how a security defect that could bring down the application could cost revenue loss, could count reputation loss. It could cause a lot of damage that takes a while to undo and rebuild that trust from the community or, or your customers. And so when you reframe it from that perspective and kind of give them an impactful why you should care response um, and make it relevant to the, the application they're building, then it's an easier time kind of getting them to realize the consequences of not securing it. I like your use of, as, as I call it, light touch threat scare model <laughs> to actually it works it it works it, it's not security by being the scaremongery but you know to make understand to make other people understand the context where we operate and that security is everybody's duty and everybody's responsibility not exactly responsibility and everybody's duty <laughs> I think part, part, part of the introduction of like a, a semi-threat model was more to help them kind of empathize what happens to the person on the other side who has to deal with our decisions for not securing certain elements of the application, for example. And when you throw empathy into the conversation, it makes it much easier to kind of sway people to do the right thing. And when you give them the toolkit to do those right things, instead of telling them, hey, you need to uh, secure your containers without giving them the instructions how or the you know tools that are embedded into their development workflows, it's not going to get done, right? Developers want the easiest things to do, security just when they need to. So give them those tools, give them the ability to do that. And when they have that, they really have no excuses because all of the upfront work has been done. All they have to do is maybe include one CLI command and you're good to go. So if you make it stupid easy uh it also goes <laughs> it also goes gets you pretty far no i i like the i like the idea of of keeping it simple uh because and keeping it in the backlog of teams that actually triage because that's how they schedule their works 
But then maybe on the opposite side, um, and that's more from my experience in, in large organization, I think you touched a very important point that is a simple message, like fixing all the critical, fixing this, mandating this top down so that everybody kind of can soldier in behind a single message. And especially in an organization with more than 200 people, that message needs to be almost militarized and kind of announced to everybody else and everybody to follow through. And then you can go and refine fundamentally that approach individually. Because out of my experience, if you don't have the business to actually support it, the developer are not incentivized. The operation people are not incentivized. Why would they put their, their job uh, at threats just to do what's right if the business doesn't believe that's right? I 100% agree with having the top-down support because without without your leadership supporting you on allowing you the time and space to actually find and fix these vulnerabilities before they become a problem, then developers aren't going to be motivated to do it, right? They they have their own business constraints that they have to ad- adhere to, right? They, they have new features to be developing. They have to test them. They have to make sure that any production issues are fixed in a timely manner. And there's a lot going on for a developer to throw security on top of that is is even crazier, right? Because with the shift of cloud technologies, developers are already having to learn some operational skills that typically fell onto solely the operations teams, right? So there's a blend of roles and responsibilities going on with people migrating to the cloud. For example, you have DevOps, right? You have developer and operations going on together uh, so that teams can build and deploy rapidly. But in order for the for them to do that, they have to collaborate with the operations teams. So development teams also need to collaborate with the security teams. But mm-hmm. oftentimes, the ratio of developers to operations to security personnel is usually like 100 devs, 10 ops, one security person. That's still not... <laughs> when you want to be generous. <laughs> yeah, may- maybe. You maybe get that if, if you're lucky. And so it's, it's challenging to embed security when you're already so far behind in the DevOps culture. So so to add security on top of that, it's not easy, but having top-down support is definitely the first step into driving the needle uh, and improving your your overall security program. Brilliant. And as we come close to an end, uh, I think I love the conversation, how it did go and, you know, the upside and upside that is a particular pet peeve of mine. And, and I discovered also yours that it's a particular thing. But if we want to leave everybody with uh, a positive message, that is our podcast tradition, what would be your positive message um, out of today's conversation, Amanda? Every single action you take in trying to improve your application security program matters. Because sometimes people get overwhelmed in thinking that they're not doing enough. And that's how we as professionals and practitioners of this space get burnt out. It's so easy to say, I need to do this one more thing. I need to do this one more thing. Don't forget that you can have a team of support to assist you on this journey, but also to you know, take wins as they come and any failures as opportunities to learn and iterate in future attempts of whatever you're trying to solve for within your organization. So like, for example, let's say you you got your vulnerability management SLAs wrong. You, you, you told everyone that they had to fix them by a certain SLA period. Well, take feedback, learn what worked, what didn't work, and do something differently next time. And then ask the same question, what worked, what didn't work, and always keep iterating. So take the same mindset of, of, of doing and learning at every activity you do, despite it feeling like a 
mountain of work to do, also take a moment to like reflect back on, on how far you've come. Cause it's, it's not an overnight shift. It's not going to be done in three months, six months, or even a year as, as crazy as that seems, but just kind of keep, keep at it and find your allies, both within your organization and externally. So I do want to call out how helpful it's been to have our group, the Let's Talk Software Security. It's not a rigid space. It's it's open to everyone. And being able to find your peers in the space who also share the same challenges as you goes a long way because it reminds you, you're not the only one. You're not alone. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's really important when trying to build out an application security program. Uh, that you're not alone, you're not crazy for for experiencing some of these issues in your organization, um, and and find people who are like minded and want to you know solve the same problems. And that's what we call the therapy session. <laughs> <laughs> yes, <laughs> free free therapy sessions. As yeah, you know, four hours. They're, they're, they're <laughs> yes, we all need it. Brilliant. Amanda, thank you so much. And everybody, uh, I hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as we did on application security and operational security. As Amanda said, find your ally, rely on metrics, get buy-in, get support, and celebrate. That's my take. Celebrate every single small victory because it's a long journey. And if you don't celebrate small victories, then you know, you're, you're prone to burnout. And we've seen a lot of stories. So please... Take care of yourself, take care of your team, stay safe and listen to the podcast and join the join the meetup. By the way, on talking about the meetup, where can people join the meetup and where can people find more about you, Amanda? Great. So my information is on LinkedIn. Amanda Alvarez is uh, probably searchable at Trace3. And to join the Let's Talk Software Security security group. If you search that name in meetup.com, you'll see that it's a Denver-based group that's, well, we're not Denver-based, but we, that's time zones that we schedule things. Um, that's that's how you'll be able to find us. Next month's activity is going to be really fun. Um, and we host months, meetups once a month. So if people are interested in finding out, we can also comment out the link when we post the podcast. Yeah, we're going to put every every comments and every every link in the podcast in the show notes. So look at the show notes to know more where to find Amanda and when to find the, the meetup. And I'll see you guys there. Amanda, thank you so much for coming on the show. Everybody else, enjoy your day or evening or wherever you are. Uh, stay safe, stay secure and celebrate small victory. This is Francesco, your host. Amanda, thank you so much. Thank you. Goodbye. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Please leave us a review on Apple Podcast and post it on social media tagging Cybersecurity Cloud Podcast for a chance to win a $100 Amazon gift card. Discover other episodes at www.cybersecuritypodcast.com.